everyone and welcome along to a special Irish NFL show episode with me, Colm Cronin. And today I am delighted to be joined um, by a guy I have been following on Twitter for uh, a good while now. Always enjoy his stuff. He is from the uh, Unexpected Points Substack and podcast, Mr. Kevin Cole. Kevin, welcome to the Irish NFL show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And if you've been following me for a while on Twitter, I I apologize for all the bad, for all the bad takes right up front. I'll, I'll get that out of the way. Uh, we all have have plenty of uh, of bad takes, so uh, no no need to apologize uh, at all for that. But uh, I suppose one of the things that, that we like to do, particularly uh, when we have a guest uh, from the United States, is to find out, do you have any Irish heritage or, or have you ever visited this little Greek island? I have not visited. Uh, I do, I believe, I have some Irish heritage. I mean, it's mostly like, you know, English English heritage. Although, I guess there's maybe there's a little bit cooler to have some Irish heritage. So I'm sure there's, you know, throw some potato famine uh, immigration stories out there or something like that. So I, I think there's some, but n- not a ton. Well, look at that. You 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 know you know the stories to insert anyway. So uh, you're you're already on you're already onto a winner. Um, like I I really I do I I always enjoy your stuff because you you take a, a really interesting approach to things. Obviously, like the the stats and the analytics background, but you're um you know I I think there's so much that I see that kind of comes to, to fruition not everything but not, none of us are 100 percent but I would have to say look we are uh, recording this the the day after uh, the Sean Payton trade was was announced that's probably a good uh, as a place to, to start as any because you wrote a piece saying essentially that uh, a first round um pick for Sean Payton is a steal and I'm kind of interested in kind of digging into that a little bit particularly as as it re- pertains to the Broncos right because you you've also written about Russell Wilson and you're one of the the people out there who has pointed there are a few Mike Sando as well that the, there seems to be this narrative around Russ that this was just was one off blip last year and that like it was all Nathaniel Hackett's fault and now Sean Payton has come along and Russ is going to be just like and Whilst I'm not in the category of, you know, cut Russ and, and, and deal with cap hit, you have pointed out, your, you know, you did uh, s- some research into it that indicated that Russ is kind of on a four-year decline or, or thereabouts, and, and parts of it steeper than others. But with that said, I suppose, and I know there's a lot there, Kevin, but given what the Broncos have given up for Sean Payton and for, for Russ, and given where that, that roster is, can can this marriage work? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is a really good example of the type of question I like to answer uh, or attempt to have a range of answers, a range of potential answers, which I think is important also there rather than a singular answer, and try to build an evidence-based, thoughtful case. There was this interview in the offseason from... Uh, Quasi Adolfo Mensa is the new GM this last season for the Vikings, and he was asked about analytics, right? And what he said was he didn't necessarily like the word analytics because it comes with a lot of things attached to it. And, and often it's about the method, 
whether it's you know numbers or the person doing it or how you're doing it, you're modeling, you're doing some you know computer programming versus he liked to think about being thoughtful and intentional. And he mentioned Bill Walsh and other people have been doing these sorts of things their whole life. So I, I would say for this situation, for the Sean Payne situation, and you know I I did put the it being a steal as the headlines a little okay you know I went out there I went for some clicks on that one okay guilty guilty on that one but when you read the actual analysis itself. What I want to be able to do is there's a lot of opinions that are going to be flying out there about this is how much they should have given up. This is how much they shouldn't have given up. Um, when we're talking about coaches and trading coaches, which has maybe happened, you know, you could count it on one hand how many times it's happened over the last 20 years. And for what sort of value it is, it's something, again, that people are just not very informed about because there's not a lot of data or really evidence that they're picking around. So, so I tried to look and say, well, can we find some evidence to try to have an informed opinion about this rather than have a, you know, first take-ish sort of opinion on that. So from there, I found some research about coaching. I found some research about coaches and their second jobs, how often they they carry over success from prior jobs. And I tried to get an estimate for the type of outperformance those Saints teams had, what you would hope for Sean Payton going forward. And it looks pretty similar on a per-season basis to like an elite non-quarterback. So if we see players like, Tyree Kill getting traded for a first-round pick and more. Even Bradley Chubb, just his last offseason, who's probably not even an elite player, getting traded for a first-round pick, and then a lot of hit to the salary cap. Then it made sense to me to say, well, you know, Payton is probably worth that amount. Will it happen? We don't know, just like we don't know if he traded for a player, how good he'll be. But at least it's a framework for thinking about it rather than just having a gut feeling and going forward. Yeah, and I, I think that's that. that is it. I mean... Anyone who tries to to tell you that this is absolutely destined for success or destined to, to end in failure, it is about, I think, putting the framework in and then seeing. Um, but maybe the, the social media age and the need for constant hot takes um, is, uh, it, you know, leads to these extremities. And the, I'm interested in, um, you know, something that's happened this weekend, talking about um, the, the social media age. Um, Justin Herbert and the Chargers, now they have a, a new offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore. And I suppose there has been some talk about this, and I'm interested in your opinion. Obviously, when uh, Matthew Stafford had Joel Lombardi, he, you know, you, you saw the average depth was, I think he was 30th of 33. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, words there with no H in, in the TH, uh, TH word. Um, but I... I we saw similar with Matthew Stafford. Now, we saw when um, Bevel came in to the Lions, and obviously we saw last year um, with the the Rams, St Stafford's willingness to take the, the shot, it, it seemed that it was totally dependent on the OC. Do you think that that is the, the case or could be the case with Justin Herbert, or, or are are we underestimating how conservative Herbert himself might be? Yeah, I, I would only, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, I guess also, but I would say just from my read on the general consensus opinion, um, I would say we probably are underestimating. And you say conservative from, from, from Herbert. Uh, I don't know how you want to describe it. It's just, he, he likes to execute probably an offense in a certain way, which is not holding the ball for a long time and taking shots necessarily down the field. At the same point in time, I think there's also been a lot of good research from uh, Josh Hermsmeyer in particular, where it's an oversimplification, how we say things uh, sometimes like, 
you know, running backs don't matter or something is a, is a, is a simplification of this. And his his simplification on average depth of target is it belongs to the receiver rather than it belongs to the quarterback. And that's not 100% true, but I think that is also a very underplayed angle. I mean, let's look at Tua in Miami this last year. He has a new system, so that's definitely true. At the same point in time, he's getting rid of the ball about as quickly as he did last year, but yet he's going up almost a yard, more than a yard on his depth of target, I think because he has players who are open down the field. At first, you have to be open. You have to be open down the field in order to throw the ball down the field, all else being equal. I think that's probably a little bit more of a factor for Herbert than than some think. But even the Lombardi thing, I would push back a little bit against the Stafford um, angle on this because... I remember pretty distinctly Lombardi being there, and then he was let go midseason in 2016, I believe. So he was the—no, actually, 2015. So he was the coordinator in 2014. So if you look at 2014 for Matthew Stafford, um, well, let's look at 2012. So 2012, he had an 8.9-yard average at the target. 2013, 8.9 yards. Uh, Joe Lombardi comes in in 2014. It goes down to 8.2. So— yeah, I mean, it went down a little bit. It, it went down. It's, it's not nothing, but it's he also had you know seasons in the past where he was at eight point four in his in his rookie season. So it's not drastically different. Now, he coached the first six games of twenty fifteen when the offensive line and some of the receivers fell apart. They were throwing a lot to Theo Riddick and um, Golden Tate and other underneath options that were keeping that A dot pretty low. And it was low those first six games, but he was even lower the rest of the season when. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter gets it took over. Great name, Jim Bob Cooter. But even even better than that, the next season, where it was just pure Cooter time at, at that point in time in 2016, his A dot was lower than it was in 2014 underneath Joe Lombardi. It was under eight yards. In 2018, it was under it was almost seven yards under Jim Bob Cooter. And there was a there was a, a thought, because that was almost Stafford's best season ever was 2016, that this new low A dot system actually improved. I'm sorry, I said Herbert. Uh, Stafford uh, actually improved Matthew Stafford. This was the best system for him. Everything else. And now we look back and we say the opposite. If you look at Stafford the last couple of years, he had an eight out of 8.9 yards in 2021. And, you know, everything fell apart this season and it was down to only seven yards with the same exact head coach, the same exact system. So I think there's probably a little bit too much blame placed on Lombardi for that reason. And we'll see how it plays out going forward. I think the most blame, if anything, on the Chargers would be where are his options to throw the ball down the field? Because Mike Williams is, is an okay option for that, a contested catch sort of guy. But then Eckler, Keenan Allen, if you're going to throw the 100 targets each to those types of guys, you're just not going to have a strong A dot for, for your system and probably not going to utilize fully what Herbert can do down the field. Yeah, it will it will be fascinating to, to see. And certainly, I mean, I think, it's a very fair point in terms of the the receivers. I I I I'm not a massive Mike Williams fan. I kind of maybe classify him a little bit in um he he's good, but uh, I don't know if he's going to be a game changer for you. So that will be something. But um and you touched on on the, my kind of next question a little bit earlier in terms of the the Vikings GM, but you did write a piece recently. Um the the age of the analytical GM has has arrived. And I, I know, again, it, it is kind of broader because it is not just pure analytics. And I think that people are maybe maybe understanding that a bit more. And, I, and maybe analytics has come out. I think even, and I know you are a recent convert to the Premier League, but I'm thinking back a few years, 
a goal, like expected goals initially came in and it was like people initially thought this was going to change everything. And there were some kind of famous cases of um, uh, one of the kind of senior analysts kind of writing off Marcus Rashford at the time because his expected goals wasn't high enough. Um, and I think they've revised that model. So that's part of um, the whole process as well. You're always learning, you're always tweaking. But I suppose I'm just interested from where you're coming at in this piece, Kevin, in terms of um, for listeners to this, like what, what, what does this likely look like for NFL franchises in terms of being more analytical with their decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think everything is is incremental. So I don't want to necessarily say it's a well-defined tipping point or sea change in, in how it's happening. But I think what we're seeing is turnover for GMs. We're seeing a lot of younger general managers come in. And this has been happening over the last few years, uh, where at the very least we can say they know that they need to pay lip service or they can't be openly hostile. You know, they can't do the Dave Gettleman mock fingers on the keyboard thing, talking about analytics and how Jonathan Stewart hasn't lost anything uh, over his his career at, at that point. Um, so they know that at the very least. But we also see action in terms of just pure hiring across a bunch of NFL teams. I mean, the Titans were probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. And what drove me to write this article was the fact that they hired Rand Carthon, who from for the 49ers, who had worked with Kwesi and others. He talked about building out that area. Uh, he, he spoke positively about, you know, analytics and that that sort of capacity. So at the very least, we're bringing in more and more people into these organizations and their voice, while it may not be the loudest voice in the room or even the second or third or fourth most sway of people in the room, they're going to influence things even more and more, and especially on the coaching side and in-game management. And then lastly, I think the success of the Eagles, where we saw the success of the Eagles in 2017, uh, winning the title, going forward a lot, that helped a lot. I think from a GM perspective, uh, probably Howie Roseman didn't get that much hype at this particular at that particular point in time. But now I think Roseman is probably seen as being, you know, head and shoulders above a lot of the competition after bringing in AJ Brown, making a bunch of of smaller trades, uh, you know, being able to build this core around Jalen Hurts, and they have one of the most robust areas in the league when it comes to research and development and also how they implement that in in coaching and the type of game decision making that Nick Sirianni is making. So I think that's important too in this copycat-ish sort of league when people are looking for GM candidates. And, and Carthon mentioned this, that you know in the interview, he was being asked about his opinions on analytics from the ownership. It's going to filter down and become a bigger part of an accepted piece, almost like a starting piece that you have to have for an NFL franchise. Yeah, and I suppose kind of following on from that and a little bit about the Eagles, because you did write a piece uh, back back when he was uh, drafted saying Jalen Hurts wasn't a good pick by the, the Eagles. He was a great one. And I suppose, you know, there are, it, it wasn't just about Hurts himself. It was about kind of the process and like, yeah. yeah. It mostly wasn't about Hurts. Yeah, honestly. no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I that's why kind of, I'm, I'm interested in maybe digging into that in a little bit about Howie, because like, Essentially, we talk a lot about, say, and um, you know, maybe it's maybe this is where it's a math made in heaven uh, in terms of Howie and Nick Sirianni, because both of those guys appear to have their cojones in wheelbarrows in front of them in terms of Sirianni. I mean, have you ever seen a coach more suited to his city? But in yeah. terms of Howie's willingness to 
okay, he mi- he misses on Jalen Rieger, but that doesn't put him off. Whereas, like, um, you know, so many GMs seem to be, and my Bronco is a, a perfect example. They they get a pick wrong in terms of a position, right? And so, um, they're 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 gun shy in terms of going back there. I just in in terms of like the process that you think worked for for the Eagles, can can you dig into to that a little bit more? Because I think that's really interesting, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I would even look in the other direction, looking up the 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 old hierarchy for the Eagles for one of the bigger reasons why it's been able to work with Roseman, and that's with the owner, Jeff Lurie, who came in there. And they obviously have a good, close relationship. Um, Roseman was not officially, but kind of de facto demoted when Chip Kelly came in and a lot more was put on to his plate after they had some lack of success at the end of Andy Reid's tenure. But then he came back and there was also, you know, another period where there was a rough period and which led to Doug Peterson being let go. But they kept Roseman on through that. So I think there were ample opportunities for Lurie to say, let's look at the down, let's look at the results of these downturns. Let's see the the media, which is you know, uh, a lot of a lot of interesting characters in the media there in Philadelphia who have strong opinions, who would have been very happy to see Howie Roseman uh, get his walking papers multiple times during this whole entire time. So I think his patience, his understanding of the process, his trust in Roseman helps. It helps Howie be able to make these moves where the Jalen Hurts pick. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating when I'm saying it was like 98% of the people hated this hated this pick or did not get this pick or at the very least were were scratching their heads saying I don't like it but we'll see what what happens sort of sort of reaction and it's just like the inability to even look at it through through a different lens the type of lens that Howie has even if Howie was going to explain it the way that I explained in this piece I don't think people are necessarily going to going to buy on I, I have an interesting little like side story so WIP is like the the main radio sports talk radio station out there. And I was talking to two people there about this Hertz article after it came out and after the draft. I can't remember who it was. It was a former defensive back and someone else there. And they were saying, well, what do you see in Jalen Hurts that makes you this confident? And I was like, well, you know, it's not about what I see. It's about the fact that maybe he's good. Maybe there's not as much for there as Wentz. You never know what can happen. You know, so you have to take these different shots. And they'd be like, well, but do you think he's worth a second round pick? And I'm like, well, it's not really about they just kept on coming back. They're like, well, my evaluation, I don't see him as being this guy. They they could not get out of that way of thinking sometimes. And I think that also is a really, really hard thing because ownership also gets stuck in that way of thinking. So when I mentioned the ownership talking to Rand Carthon and mentioning it, I think even from ownership, by getting a louder voice, sometimes it, within some media places, it can filter in and now to ownership and others to want to care about these things. And obviously Jeff Lurie does care about those things, which I think helps free up Howie Roseman to make these types of moves too. And going from that ownership situation to the Colts and the the ownership situation there where it would seem um, that Jim yeah, Irsay becomes ever more involved. And, and I don't know if if losing Peyton Manning and then Andrew Luck coming in and then lo- losing Andrew Luck kind of impacted that because he seems to want more and more and he seems to be getting, you know, more and more agitated. Um, the press conferences in front of a, a plane propeller where you can't even hear what he's saying. Um, but, that, that, you know, that's a less bizarre de- decision than some of the things we've seen this year. Like, what's 
what do you think how how do you solve the the cults i mean so like chris ballard seems you know even more neutered than maybe george payton is in in denver in terms of he's just kind of a, a there to carry out um Erise's wishes and they're that was it 14 first round interviews uh seven for for second round it seems almost almost unprecedented yeah yeah i think i would point to the failure of carson wentz as really being the change uh for indianapolis if you look at chris ballard i mean he's been there since 2017 so that means his first and second seasons were with Andrew Luck. Um, Luck retired suddenly before the 2019 season. And I think he had a pretty good, with approval from ownership, as almost all GMs need, uh, a pretty good control of the organization and pretty good working relationship with Frank Reich um, at that point. They made it to the divisional round with Andrew and then the injury stuff, you know, set in and his retirement set in. They had no choice but in 2019 to go with um, to go with Jacoby Brissett. 2020, they bring in Philip Rivers, who actually performed pretty well. I mean, they were very close to winning in the uh, wild card round against the uh, the Buffalo Bills that year. And then it's really the 2021 season. Reich asking for Wentz, uh, Ballard backing him in that decision. And the way things fell apart at the end of that season, I think Irsay at that point was just sick to his stomach, was saying, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. We're not figuring anything out here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the one who really demanded that they get rid of Wentz. I'm not sure if everyone wanted that necessarily to happen or not. And then once that starts, once, you know, once the foot's in the door from the owner there, it's pretty hard to peel back out at that point. So it sounds like he was involved in being decided that Matt Ryan would be benched for Sam Ellinger fairly easy early on in the season, which seemed to be a, a, a poor move at that point. I think they were three and three or something like that at that point. So it wasn't something necessarily needed to do, especially in that division. He seemed to be the one. There's strong indications that he's the one who wanted to fire Frank Reich, where Ballard did not want that, and then bring in Jeff Saturday. And it sounds like Saturday is just his guy. Now he's kind of flipping over to the other side, and he's saying, this is the guy I trust. This is the guy I want. So I think that's going to be the situation going forward. I don't know what Ballard's going to do, because I think outside of this quarterback issue, which obviously has been a huge failure for them, I do think he has a pretty good process for what for what he's done there. We'll really see with how free agency and the draft uh, plays out this year, whether or not he still has the power um, at, at this point until maybe Saturday exerts himself even more going forward. Oh, I'm already assuming Saturday's going to be hired, by the way. It's not official yet, but I, I would be shocked if he wasn't, if he wasn't. Yeah, all, all signs seem to point in that direction. Um, Kevin, really appreciate um, your time, and um, I I enjoy uh, all your stuff. I know that our, our listeners, if they weren't familiar with you, uh, would really enjoy your stuff where can um they find more of your stuff listen to you and uh, go about all that stuff yeah sure sure you mentioned the sub stack so that's really the main place where i'm putting out uh i mean almost daily different pieces of research um maybe i'll mix in a free one you know once a week or something like that for different type of research pieces but then also some premium stuff and free podcasts that come along with that so that's unexpectedpoints.substack.com 
the Unexpected Points podcast, which also broadcasts on YouTube and, of course, all the different podcast platforms. And then you can follow me on Twitter um, at Kevin Cole triple underscore. Believe it or not, the first one underscore, two underscores are taken. I don't know. I'm going to be like 15 underscores by the the time everyone's everything's taken there. So you can follow me there. I put out a lot of research. I even clip a lot of screenshots from the articles from premium section of the articles and, uh, you know, tr- try to stay a mix of trying to have a good idea of these fundamental kind of evergreen macro issues with the NFL and then also staying topical and a more uh, nuanced and kind of thoughtful look at whatever the topic of the day may be. Yeah, no, it, it really, that is exactly it. It's it really some great deep dive stuff, but it, a lot of it is obviously responding to the happenings in the NFL and definitely would encourage if, if people, if you have enjoyed um, this podcast, do check it out. As Kevin said, you can access and he has some great free articles. You'll be able to dip your toe in the water with that. And I think um, be convinced to subscribe. But Kevin, uh, once again, thank you for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me.